Welcome to the Wing Life Podcast, where we talk about wing foiling and the lifestyles of those who enjoy this great sport. All right. Hey, Matt, thanks a lot for joining me on the show today. Um, stoked to be talking to a fellow Canadian that's in the wind sports industry. I think it's going to be pretty fun. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So um, I guess whereabouts are you right now? Uh, I'm actually in my uh, home office here in uh, Toronto, Canada. The beaches oh, part cool. of Toronto. Nice. Is there any wind shaping up? Normally our falls are pretty good out there. Uh, there's been a little bit of north wind, so not in the Toronto area. But yeah, last uh, couple of days, people uh, up north have been getting sessions. And it was a bit of a funny start to the summer, but the last month's been pretty good here. We've got sort of like the regular couple of cold fronts a week, you know, regular weather systems rolling through the Great Lakes. So yeah, people have been getting sessions. Oh, cool. Yeah, my buddies that are on all the Sandbanks chats and stuff are going to probably start lighting up. In the next month or so, sometimes Kingston starts around this time. My buddy lives there too. So August is kind of the transition month into the fall. Sometimes we'll start to get some some strong systems. We'll also start to get, and there's kind of one brewing right now, while we don't wish for hurricanes to pummel the east coast of the U.S. by any stretch, but when when a tropical storm or a hurricane moves up the east coast, if it, if it moves inland and heads kind of up the middle, we usually end up with like a couple of really strong easterlies um, through the Great Lakes, which is not the usual wind direction, followed by like a big whoop-ass cold front as the as a hurricane then gets pushed out to sea. So again, not mm. to uh, wish any uh, damage on anyone or, or anything like that, but like hurricanes coming up the East Coast is what really lights things up here in the Great Lakes. And there's actually, you know, one of the first ones of the season coming right now. So there's probably going to be a all the people in the Great Lakes, some, some pretty big days uh, as that kind of moves up. Okay, then, nice. Uh, we have October to look forward to, uh, you know, not too far off. So October, of course, can be sort of the, the heaviest month out here and the water's still kind of warm. And you know, that's kind of like our best time of year. Oh, yeah. Before we get that big switch where it kind of, when the first Northeast or something comes through and jumbles everything, then it, it went from, at Sandbanks, it went from super warm to like extremely cold the next day. It was crazy how quickly that Yeah, you out. get like a proper lake turnover and all the cold water from the bottom of the lake comes up and then it's time for booties and no fun. <laughs> and for winter. Well, hey, Matt, um, when, I guess for our audience at home here who was meeting you for the first time, could we go a little bit into, into your story? Um, I read up a little bit and you started water sports at a pretty young age. I'm sure there's a pretty cool story behind that. Well, I don't know how cool it is, but uh, thanks for asking. But I actually started working in a windsurfing store when I was sort of in that like 17, 18 year old range. And I worked, you know, I worked uh, windsurf retail, um, you know, off and on all through uh, tail end of high school, right through university. And uh, I was sort of like, you know, summers was working, uh, working half the summer at the shop and then half the summer, either at Cabarete or uh, Hood River and, you know, driving around and, you know, camping and Hood River and, you know, trying to, trying to progress my windsurfing as much as I could. But that was, that was all through a uh, university. I was just chasing the wind and competing admittedly at a not particularly high level, but competing a bit on windsurfing and, you know, living, trying to chase that dream a little bit. And then, um, when I, when I finished university, I actually kind of landed what seemed like was going to be my dream job. I got a job uh, working for the publisher of Windsport magazine, which was a, you know, a Canadian based windsurfing magazine. So, I remember like my first day on the job, my boss was like, oh, did you bring your gear? I'm like, well, of course, it's in my car all the time. And we were like down at the beach doing a photo shoot, you know, shooting, you know, windsurfing shots for a test in, in the magazine. So I'm like, oh, my God, this is a, doesn't get any better. Right. So um, so that job actually kind of progressed pretty interesting path where, uh, you know, some good timing. We, the, the main uh, publication, there was a snowboard magazine, Snowboard Canada magazine. And, um, you know, the, the sort of 
that whole industry, we, we sort of rode the, uh, snow surf, you know, um, snow skate surf sort of culture as it grew. And, um, as that industry started to fire up and, and start to extend into apparel and, you know, the mall shops popping up and all that, we, we were able to add magazines and where we started with just the windsurfing magazine and the, and the snowboard magazine, you know, we ended up with 10 different uh, titles, nine consumer titles. We had a skateboard magazine, wakeboard magazine, surf magazine, ski magazine. Um, I'm trying to think what I'm missing here. And of course a kite surf magazine. And, uh, you know, I, I was, uh, I was running the advertising, advertising sales department for this. And I think at one point, I think we had, I think our whole advertising sales department was like six people. The company was like 35, something like that people. And, uh, yeah, we became like this sort of multi, uh, multi, uh, titled, uh, sports publisher and all basically riding the wave of the, the snow skirt, snow skate surf sort of culture as it grew up. So this is like in a time when, you know, the kids going, kids going to school had to have their Dakine backpack, backpack and DC shoes or whatever it was. And, you know, you know, there's a, a bunch of money in the sort of apparel side of that business. So we were able to sort of take advantage of that and build all these, uh, consumer titles. So, um, that's kind of my background in, you know, in, uh, in the sports in this industry, it started in retail and ended up in publishing. And then, um, the, I think it's fair to say that sort of surf skate culture sort of collapsed at one point and it was sort of unfortunately timed with, uh, the change to digital media. So, uh, the publishing business, I mean, that, you know, that model or the model of this publisher has definitely got really difficult. Uh, the advertising base collapsed and the competition from outside of sort of traditional print got really complicated as well. So, uh, to say that was a good time for me to try to do something else. And, uh, I'd actually been fiddling around with, with this, with a little accessory business for uh, kite surfing. Um, and that was, you know, I, uh, took, a, took a little bit of a push on, you know, um, and some encouragement from, from some friends, but I kind of, you know, dove into that a little bit. So I started a company that was, a kite surf deck pads. So traction for, you know, specific for kite boards and a kite board pump. It was a brand called WMFG. So, um, it's kind of the first tall pump to the, uh, pump market and the brand's still around. I sold it off a, a few years ago, but it was, oh the yeah, first they were super popular. Pump. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So, uh, it, it was the first like over height pump in the market. So standard kite board pumps were 16 to 18 inches tall. And it was the first pump in the market that was 24 inches. The first one you didn't have to like bend over and hurt your back every time you're pumping up a kite or, or now a wing. So, um, yeah, so I started that little business and, um, and just as that was kind of getting off the ground, uh, a friend of mine, uh, had, had told me that there was an opportunity with mystic. So, uh, mystic pre, pre, uh, prior to this had, uh, had a standard distribution model in the U S so they sold it to one person who then resold it to the retailers. And, uh, the brand was looking to do a direct model where they had their own operation in the U S so uh, I interviewed for that job, um, you know, traveled over to Holland and uh, in short order, uh, I was hired to uh, build the uh, Mystic Direct business in, uh, in the U.S. So uh, for my first little bit, I was running Mystic on my own and uh, had my WMFG business as well. And that was a, that was, that was a fun time and learned lots. So that was my doubt. foray or how I went from uh, publishing into the uh, wholesale business. Okay. Whoa, that's pretty cool. And then from there... Um, I guess when did, cause North encompasses a bunch of brands now. So you work from Mystique to North. Can we continue on that story and see how you ended yeah, up sure. at North too? So, so when, with the reboot of North, which I'm sure you've covered in a podcast or hopefully your people are fairly familiar with, you know, the rebirth, the new version of North that I work for, 
um, when they were rebooting, they, they got into some discussions with mystic about an act about an acquisition and, um, for, you know, for North, inevitably, if you're, if you're going to produce kites and, and wings and all the rest of the stuff, it's nice to have the board bags and harnesses and all the other accessories that go along with it. So, so, um, acquiring mystic was pretty interesting from that perspective, but I think, I think the real synergy for, for North looking at buying mystic was they already, is they would have a ready-made distribution model. So Mystic has been one of the, you know, one of the top waterware brands for years and they have sales agents and sales reps or distributors in most markets. So, you know, for, for North to come in and, 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 um, buy and partner with Mystic kind of solved the ready-made, you know, gave them like a ready-made distribution. So it wasn't, it wasn't a foregone conclusion in every single market that if you're a Mystic rep, when North bought them, that you automatically are North. But in most markets, it made sense. So almost all throughout Europe, for example, all the Mystic sales force became uh, the North sales force. And Mystic already had a, a central hub and, and uh, like logistics and sales office in, in, in uh, the Netherlands. So they rolled their, you know, they rolled most of the operations straight into, into that. So it was actually, you know, quite, quite, a, quite a seamless move, to be honest, in terms of launching the brand. Like they had the sales force ready to roll and a lot of the logistics and back, back end ready to roll. So that when that happened... Um, you know, so I ended up with the, uh, with, with, uh, the North brand and, um, you know, I, at, at that point it made sense to, uh, you know, to move on from WMFG, you know, and, uh, and just focus on, on North and Mystic. So, um, yeah, so when, when, uh, you know, when North came on the scene, I had, uh, you know, one, uh, one, one, uh, associate working with me full-time here in Toronto. Uh, and then I had a sales rep, uh, we'll still have a sales rep in Hood River, Oregon. And, uh, you know, since that time, we've uh, added some more to our sales force, but we're still all the back end and operations. Are- this episode is brought to you by Saladita Kite School in La Ventana, Mexico. If you caught some of our uh, stories yesterday on Instagram, you'll have seen that. I just got in a couple epic days of downwinding. We got a 10 kilometer downwinder done with my buddy Mickey from Salt Spring Island. Today, I got in an epic one with my friend Britt. Um, we went from Latuna all the way to the beach and back. Um, heck of a fun time. If you're looking to learn, there's nothing better than getting a lesson from the pros at Saladita Kite School. They are positioned at Latuna. And now that I've been here a little while, I've gotten the opportunity to visit to a couple different spots. It is one of the more beginner-friendly beaches with some nice sand so you're not walking on any rocks. Um, they do offer professional jet ski assisted kite and wing foil lessons. Um, so once again, they're at Latuna. So if you want to grab a beer after, grab some ice cream, grab anything, it is a nice little hub there. So you're not just stuck kind of in the middle of nowhere. So they have you covered if you want to learn how to kite, foil, or looking into downwinding. They got top quality gear as well. Uh, so don't hesitate. Book your lessons today by visiting saladitalaventana.com or send them a message on Instagram at Saladita Kite School at Saladita Kite School. We're uh, kind of based here in uh, here in Toronto, and um, since since I started with uh, with Mystic, we've been using the same. Uh, it's called a third party warehouse setup, so we don't actually operate our own warehouse with our own staff. It's sort of like through a well third party. And uh, based in the U.S., so all our product flows into the U.S., stays in the U.S. with most of our U.S. customers. It's quite, you know, quite a quite a good operation. But yeah, that's who we are. And uh, oh, that's pretty cool, man. Um, 
How did you find Wynn initially being based out of Toronto? Um, I guess you were close to the water, but uh, when was the first time you kind of hopped on a windsurfer or thought you would ever enter into this kind of world? I, I started windsurfing like as a, you know, 11, 12 years old, something like that. I mean, I'd grown up with, you know, we had a, a little cottage up north and we were like sailing, you know, sailboats, always part of our part of our life and stuff like that. So, yeah, I got into windsurfing that sort of like 12 or 13 year old age and just seemed a lot more interesting than sailing. So, um, but I mean, you progress slowly, like, like living in Toronto, we always have winter where you can't really do much of anything, but yeah, I put, I put in as much time as I could. And every year would progress down to smaller and smaller board and eventually got into like, you know, performance shortboard sailing, I guess you could say, but, you know, getting a driver's license was the key thing. Cause all of a sudden you can, you know, chase the wind around and all the rest of this stuff. So, yeah, I mean, it was pretty, pretty avid in windsurfing. And I think I did my first trip to hood river. I know I took the first week off school in uh, what used to be called grade 13. It's what we see now here, of course. I, I know I missed the first week or so of school and flew out to Vancouver. And, uh, you know, one of my one of my brother's uh, buddies picked me up there. And we spent like a week in camping, car camping in Hood River, you know, like living full dirtbag style, uh, windsurfing as much as we could. So that was my first sort of like proper, proper trip. But then uh, after that, though, it was like every summer, it's like, you know, a month or so in, in a cabaret, a month or so in Hood River and just, you know, put put all the time I could into it going through, uh, going through university. Oh, that's pretty cool. What do you take in university? Uh, I, I graduated uh, in economics. Okay. Perfect. All right, Which cool. sounds like business, but it's not. No. Well, the money of, I guess. Yeah, it's technically in the arts department, but yeah, yeah, it was it, really? still a, a good background. Oh, nice. Okay. Um, and I read a little bit that you started the Ontario kiteboarding association. Do you start that? Yeah, that was sort of a, uh, yeah, I was a co-founder and president of the Ontario Kiteboarding Association. But that that was a, that came at a time when uh, I'd say kite surfing was getting a lot of sort of beach access issues at the time. And there's like, um, you know, um, Keswick, Keswick, um, which is just north of, of Toronto, which used to be like a really good beginner spot for kiteboarding, which there's not very many of, frankly, in the Toronto area because we mostly have deep water. You know, we got there's a tiny little uh, park there that you could, you know, that you could launch and land out of sort of. And, you know, with very little parking and everything. And one thing led to another. The local municipality booted us out of there. And right around that time, I remember um, uh, Steve, the owner from Board Sports, uh, now Northline Sports, uh, called me out of the blue. He's like, man, we're, we're selling so much beginner gear right now. And it's going bananas, the sport. And I just think we're going to have, like, all these issues in, in Toronto this year. And it just feels like we're going to have all these issues. And someone's got to do something. And we're really going to have all these issues. And, you know, at the time, I was, you know, running the sales department for that publisher. And it's like... I kind of had a little bit of time to do this. So, you know, I took it upon myself to, uh, with, with some friends to, to start this association. And right away it got like frisky, you know, we were, uh, right away in a big crisis issue, uh, up in the Wasega beach area, which is a provincial park and wow. where, you know, where people, you know, with, with a couple of launches and it was just like, you know, the local community, the local residents up there were doing the, not in my backyard. We don't want you parked in front of our, you know, using our beach, which is not their beach because it's public and, you know, it just turned into a big battle and there's, you know, issues at Sandbanks at the time and just, yeah, it, it actually turned into quite, quite a task, frankly, but, uh, things kind of calmed down and we sort of found a bit of a path, like, you know, and I found some more people to kind of help with it. And I think now it's a little bit more, uh, it's, I would, I'd like to think it's sort of, sort of inspired, uh, the local community to, to try to take care of their own business in their own area. And for the large part, is mostly uh, mostly calmed down now. The beach access. 
Okay, because I know Sandbanks, because I would frequent there like all the time in the fall for wave sailing. We had a bunch of stuff. Um, they closed down the park. Uh, there had to be some negotiations held there so we could access it into October. Uh, there's there's a whole bunch of different things. Plus, parking passes they were initiated. They didn't want us parking here or doing that. So, well, hey, thanks for thanks for doing that on behalf of all of us. It's appreciated. Um, it was a while back, but still, we still appreciate that effort because not everybody does that. Yeah. So, how did I guess you get involved with AWSI? How long did the back go to that happen? Uh, that was a while back now too. I think I've been serving on the board for like at least eight years, and I don't know that that also seemed like the right sort of thing to do when I was, you know, part of what I was doing is working for a kite surfing and windsurfing magazine. It seemed, you know, seemed the right thing to do. So uh, yeah, I came on board um, that quite quite some time ago, and then. I always joke. I never missed. I never missed a board meeting. We do like a once a month. We do a board meeting, but I, I missed one meeting. They ran. They uh, held an election and nominated me as president, as I recall. So uh, yeah, I've been the I've been the president of the trade association for quite some time now. And uh, yeah, it's. I mean, it's a giving back to the uh, industry, and you know, one way or the other. I mean, I've worked in this business since I was a teenager, so you know, it kind of feels like the the right thing to do. But um. But I mean, our, our trade association has a has a you know fairly limited scope. I would say, like our main our main um, task, if you will, or mandate is um, is running a once a year like some sort of an annual trade show type event or something for the uh, the retailers and the brands to get together. So you know that you know we don't have a tremendously wide scope. Like a trade association can mean a different lot of different things to a lot of different people. Um, the, you know, our main mandate, since we uh, you know since I've been involved, is you know, what's the best place for us to all be and what's the best way for the brands to, to, to meet the retailers and the retailers to be able to read the, meet the brands. So, um, you know, we used to, we used to attend a, uh, an event in, um, in Orlando called surf expo and surf expo is like a standard convention. It's in a big giant convention hall, heavily air conditioned giant convention hall in Orlando in September and, um, you know, classic indoor style event which served a purpose at its time, you know, it had a time and a place where that was a really good place for us to be. And then we, you know, sort of following the, uh, the, the guidance or the, you know, the, the wishes of our members, uh, both brands and retailers, there was a, a real call out to do something that was had a bit more of a organic on the water feel. So that's where we transitioned from being at surf expo to being, uh, in hood river. Okay. All right. And then, so this gives a brand's opportunities, stores opportunities, everybody to meet pros to come down as well, test out gear. Sure. Um, so sure. this is well, the following. Well, like, like a nuance to our industry is just how, how darn big this, you know, the territory is. So like in, in Europe, for example, if you're the sales rep in Germany or Holland or wherever it is, you know, you can load your van up, drive around, see in person, all, all of your, uh, all of your customers quite readily. It's like where mm -hmm. I live in Toronto. You know, I have, there's, you know, there's two good stores here in the Toronto area. And then like, if I wanted to go visit a store myself, the next nearest store is like a six hour drive away practically. Right. So it's like the oh, territory, yeah. you know, like, like if you're a sales rep in, in Hood River and you're trying to see all of your dealers across, across the U S it's just like, you know, unless you're going to, unless you're going to, you know, be on 25 flights and fly around for a month, it's just like, it's just not really possible. So, so for our industry, like having one place to all come together and stuff is really just it's the most cost and time effective way to. To do business okay fair enough and then so it's not open to the public but there's what are the different i guess other than brands stores sales reps who else goes to these events 
or to this event? Uh, yeah, it's, 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 it really is. It's intended for the, the retailers to be able to meet with the brands and, and vice versa is the, the, you know, the, the first and foremost part of it. Um, you know, you know, uh, media definitely attends and will do, cause I mean, everyone is, everyone is there and in three days you can do a bunch of interviews or shoot a bunch of content. You can see all the new gear, you can test gear, you can, you know, you can do all that sort of stuff. Of course, have your, your meetings about, you know, media ad sales support type stuff can all happen there. Um, some of the brands will also use it. Like they'll, they'll tack on a little time before or after the event and do some, uh, product development type meetings as well, because if everyone's all going there in the one spot, um, like for example, this year we've got, um, got a bunch of our, uh, we're bringing more than we might otherwise bring of our, uh, sail wing and kite designers coming to hood river and some people on the materials development team. So they'll spend a couple of days at the event, meet with our retailers, and then they're all actually staying on site and doing a bunch of, you know, powwow stuff about what the next two or three years of our kites and wings will look like. So, you know, it's, it's an opportunity since they're all going to want to go there anyways, to meet with our retailers, why not stick around for a few days of meetings? And then, uh, I don't know the exact specifics of it, but the starboard group are also doing like, they're doing like an international sales meeting right immediately after the event. They've already brought all the product in. They've got a bunch of their staff there already. So why not, you know, add on a few days and, and do some, you know, some of their internal meetings and, and that sort of thing. So, you know, it's, it's while you're already there, why not do more? Um, it's certainly, you know, what we're all doing as well. Yeah, that's fair enough. And how many vendors are coming around this year? Do you know? Yeah. Well, I, first thing I can say is more than last year. Um, I don't know. I think we've got, I mean, I think we've got something like in the range of 350 people registered on the retailer site from something like 75 different businesses or something to that. But, you know, what, something I'm going to kind of do for our sort of internal review of the event and how it went is actually, I'm kind of interested to see in terms of buying power, what percentage of our customer base was there. And I think it's going to be pretty darn significant. Like going, like going through my North dealer list, it's like, we're not really missing anyone of, you know, all our significant top tier dealers are there. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty, um, for, you know, for the brands that are, for the brands that are exhibiting there, exhibiting there, it's a pretty incredible opportunity. Like pretty much all the major shops or retail retailers are there. And, um, you know, so yeah, it's, it's, I'd say the representation there's pretty, pretty hard to beat. Certainly a lot stronger than it was back in the surf expo days. Okay. Now, obviously, what do you think contributed to that? The location most likely played a big part of it. Um, yeah. Obviously, it's grown quite a bit over the years as well. Yeah, for for sure. Um, I mean, we're bursting at the seams in terms of like exhibitors, like we really can't really uh, add much more. But I think a lot of the, um, I think a lot of what's driving it right now is just all the, uh, how quickly the uh, the foil category is changing and how much growth there is in that category. And, uh, I think that's, that's fairly true of any sort of, um, industry. If the industry's a little stale in terms of, uh, innovation, then, you know, the interest and in attendance of trade shows are going to suffer. So I think right now is actually a really inter interesting time in our industry overall, like kite surfing, which I think had been frankly, a bit stale in terms of product development has actually taken some really big steps in the last couple of years. And there's a lot of material innovation happening in kite surfing. And that's still for a lot of the brands, you know, the, a big, you know, one of the bigger parts of their business. And then at the same time, I mean, what do you even say about wing and foil right now in terms of innovation? I mean, there's so much going on, um, at a simple level, just tons of new brands. Like anytime you're in a business and I've seen this, you know, I've gone through the boom bust cycles and snowboarding where all of a sudden there's like 
400 snowboard brands at a trade show event and the next year there's like 75 and then five years later it booms up a bit you know like that sort of thing will always draw people to trade shows when there's a lot of new products and new brands and stuff like that new opportunities you want to be as a retailer you always want to find the hot new brand coming ahead of the ahead of the dealer down the street right so trade shows are a place where that sort of thing can happen so we definitely have like an element of that happening right now with the awsi event where there's a bit of a you know what's the what's the hot new product which brands kind of more on the up and coming side, you know, where do you want to kind of put your chips in with sort of thing is, is certainly, I think a big driver in, uh, in attendance. And I mean, I'd say if I was a, if I was a retailer right now, I can't imagine not going to this event. There's just like all the, all the brands I'm working with are probably there. I've got a chance to meet, you know, really interesting people at the brand that would never step into my store that, you know, like for us with mystic, like the guy who literally started the brand is there. That's pretty interesting and pretty, pretty cool to meet the guy who, you know, invented the first ever kiteboard harness or something like that. But, um, you know, for a retailer in the space of three days, they can see almost every single brand in the market, whether they sell it or not, people are there, you can look at it, you can touch it, you can feel it, you can use it. You know, it's, it's pretty, it's a pretty unique opportunity like that. And we have, you know, I'd say like we've had, you know, dealers reach out to us, prospective new dealers in the last month or so, where it's like, I don't know, it's like the first thing I say to them is why don't you go to the event? Let's meet there and you can check out our stuff properly and you can also see everything else. So, uh, you know, it's a pretty, pretty, you know, for a pretty small investment of time and money for a dealer to be able to go to this event's pretty epic. Okay. And people are coming from pretty much all over the world. I mean, the, the core sort of our core, our core group is, is, is North American retailers. So Canada and U S. Um, but yeah, the, the, this year, yeah, there's a, I've noticed quite a lot more dealers out of Mexico coming to the event and we get, a, we get also some South and Central American uh, uh, dealers coming as well. And a little bit, and a little bit of attendance from the Caribbean. Okay. Cause I know I just had apple tree surfboard on and they're mm-hmm. coming out from Holland and Portugal yep. and stuff. So they were pretty excited mm-hmm. to come out and yeah, they're like, sure. Hey man, get down there. You can try out our boards and all that kind of thing. So that was pretty cool to hear. Yeah. Well, well for, for apple tree, you know, based in Europe, like for them to run around in the U S trying to run up business, try, you know, trying to drum up business, it's just not really very practical, but to come to this event, set up some meetings with, you know, with the top dealers and, 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 and see who else comes by. I mean, they just can't, there's just no better way for them to, to enter the U S market than just, you know, having a, having some space at this event. And as an, as an association, like it's a, it's a nonprofit trade association. Um, we, we have one part-time employee or executive director, the only person who's, who, you know, who's in a paid position, the rest is all volunteers. So, you know, we're not trying to like raise the prices on this and squeeze every penny out of, out of the business. We're trying to do it as low cost effective and make it as efficient as possible for the, uh, for the brands and for the dealers to do this. So, uh, you know, I mean, the dealer, the dealers, yeah, for a dealer to attend, they have to pay uh, a very nominal membership due. They have to pay membership dues to the association and, you know, then they're in. And for the brands, we've really kept our costs down as low as possible in a true nonprofit sense. So, you know, it's, we, we really, it's all about just making this inexpensive and inefficient, efficient for everybody. Like even the media pass, like I got a, a membership to AWSI now and the, the price was very reasonable. Like it wasn't yeah. anything that I had to think about at all. Yeah. So. And for what it's worth, you now have voting rights and stuff. You have an official voice in, you know, where we're, where this event, if the event happens next year and where it happens, you have a voice in that. Uh, do you want to be on the board? Do you want to vote for the board? Like you have a voice now in our whole, you know, in the whole organization by being a member. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Could we get any, maybe any, any little insights into what North is bringing for, to the event or? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a bit of a funny time of year in that we just, we've just done a big launch. 
right? So our, our, our brand launch was, was August 1st, where our new, you know, kite and wing, most of our new kite and most of our kites and wings were, uh, relaunched with the product updates. So, um, you know, on the winging side, like we launched the, the mode pro and the loft pro and our, our new seat boards. And, you know, we've had a bunch of new front wings, uh, you know, in the past, um, in the past a month rollout. So all of that stuff will be there for testing. And in some cases, you know, a lot of our retailers wouldn't have received it or maybe didn't pre-book some of it. So haven't actually seen it and touched it um, themselves. So pretty epic opportunity to try it, but you know, any, anything though that we've released in the last six months, so the dealer may have had it in their store already. They may have sold it already, which is great. But you know, one of the things that's really interesting at the uh, at the event, you know, they they may they may hear from me or the other sales reps on our team like how why this is a great product and how it's a good fit for your store. It's really interesting for them to meet the uh, the product develop you know the product design team. So you know the guy who, uh, who developed and uh, and built our entire foil system, uh, Uli Summerlet, you know, he went to school as a naval engineer, which seems like a exciting uh, exciting degree to come out of, but you know, he's there at the event the entire time. So he can explain like at a level of depth, you know, that I just, that I just can't manage. So he's, you know, so it's pretty, I think it's pretty, pretty awesome for the retailers attending to be able to meet with, you know, with people like Uli and, you know, we have, you know, we have the guy who developed all of our foot straps and all that other stuff is there. Um, you know, we have our, our main wing designers. We have someone who, whose only job is to work on material development and stuff like that, which is of course a, a hot topic. So, Oh yeah. I mean, I'll talk a little bit more about some new products in a second, but I think sure. just being able to get sort of that background depth, you know, the layers and layers of depth, if you want to, if you want to like really get your nerd on and talk about Torx head screws and foils and stuff, go for it. You know, we've got the right guy there to talk to. So, so you can, you can have some conversations that, you know, you might not have with your average sales rep. You can get into some really deep layers. And again, the same on the, on the mystic side, like uh, Max Blom who started mystic, uh, you know, we'll get into a layer, you know, layers and layers of, uh, you know, information on, on all of our products that, uh, you know, you might not necessarily get from me. So it's, it's pretty interesting to be able to talk to like an entire team like that is pretty, is pretty interesting. And then, um, you know, something we're doing, uh, this year that we haven't done in the past at, um, at this event, which is definitely sort of, you know, for retailer eyes only is we're going to, we're going to also, um, have a fair bit of the product that's going to come in our March, uh, release line as well, available for some, you know, somewhat for testing and it may not be available for everybody to test and everybody to see, but we've got some interesting stuff coming next year. That'll be uh, also available to have a, a little look see at, I, I guess we could say. Yeah. Cause yeah. you guys are what working, how many years ahead are you working in the industry? Yeah. I think, you know, there, there's, there's products in development that have a really long development role and uh, material materials in particular, you know, that's the sort of thing where, you know, like, like our, like our kite surf control bar, trying to think how many hours they wanted on it. Like it's something absurd. Like, I don't know. I don't know if I want to say it was 2000 hours, but it was something like mind blowingly absurd to me, the number of hours they wanted to put on a bar before they would, before they were going to release it. So like, you know, like our, our, our new control bar, I, I know, I mean, I used a version of it over two years ago. So yeah, it's, it's, you know, some things have a, on purpose, a very long development life. And I mean, we've seen in, in this industry, lots of times when, when brands, you know, push things out too quickly, trying to sort of, you know, jump the market a little bit and it can, it can certainly end in tears. So, um, you know, on, on some of the, you know, we've got some interesting proprietary materials we've been working on that they're definitely taking a, a slow route on, but I mean, that's, um, you know, a nuance of, of North, like our ownership group is North sales and they have their own, you know, they manufacture their own materials. They have proprietary materials that they develop that have been developed in some cases, you know, for, for the sailing world. Sometimes it's, 
well, let's take something from the sailing world and try to find an app, you know, find the application in kites or wings. But, you know, they, they're definitely not trying to shortcut that process at all and make sure that it's something, you know, that will hold up to the, you know, the nuances of kiting or winging. And, you know, while they look a bit like sails, kites are not wings and, well, so kites are not wings, kites are not sails and wings are not definitely not sails. So they have to make sure that they're, uh, they're taking the right time to get these materials out. Well, yeah, because that's the big thing right now, right? Because the first two years or a couple of years of wings, uh, they came out um, and there was a lot of material stretch. Um, There's a lot of hernias. There's a lot of handles ripping off and it's seen a huge progression now. And now we're looking at more non-stretch materials. There's a bunch of new ones coming out. Uh, so I know Ocean Rodeo has some, some smaller brands have some, you guys have some as well. So we're all kind of curious to see is like, when is this wing going to reach like I have windsurf sails, probably 10, 12 years old. And sure, they're not they're not the best, but they still do very, very well. So we're curious to see how that's going to push the performance of the wings with with all these new materials that are coming yeah, out. But winds, windsurf sails, like, you know, like it's different, whether they're aluminum mast or carbon mast or whatever, they've got this rigid frame on the on, we'll call it the leading edge. And then yeah. they use in all that. All the monofilm stuff is just a super stiff plastic material, basically extruded material. Like there's almost no stretch to that. So, yep. you know, there's a little, as I understand it, like a little stretch in the seams and stuff. But I mean, that's, that stuff is pretty bomb proof. And yeah, it breaks my heart to see people out windsurfing on 10 year old sails and stuff. But like, I mean, I was at the, I launched my wing gear out of the Toronto windsurfing club. And I swear I see sails. I used to own like literally my old sail on the beach. Still. It's uh, heartbreaking. 1980s. But, uh, oh my God. Yeah. Indeed. But, uh, yeah, there, you know, they're like the old, that windsurfing gear has a, a crazy lifespan, but the, oh, you know, yeah. the way wings work and stuff like that, like you have this pretty stiff leading edge that's not entirely stiff that still flexes and moves around. And then all the tension goes to the trailing edge of the, uh, of, of the, of the canopy. And it's just, it's, you're asking a lot of the canopy to hold up there. Big but, time. you know, if you, put in, if you put in something like windsurfing monofilm or, or, or anything, which, you know, there's lots of that being dabbled around it and stuff, you're going to get some other nuances to it. Then, then it's not breathing and bending and moving. And so, uh, and certainly then, you know, it completely change the way you look after it and care for it and, and all the rest. But, you know, we'll, yeah. we'll see, like, you know, we're going to, it wouldn't shock me to see it. And I'm not saying it's going to come from our brand and I hope the hell it doesn't, but it wouldn't shock me to see something that looks exactly like a windsurfing mast in the leading edge at some point, mm. you know, a, a strip, like basically something like, like that. And, um, you know, I'm, you know, there's already been some battens like full length battens and stuff like that being played around with and stuff. So, you know, I think we're going to see, I think we're going to see wings getting a lot more rigid and looking like they're borrowing a lot from, from windsurfing. So. Yeah, I was curious if it's almost going to look like a pterodactyl kind of skeleton almost, yeah. you know what I mean? Like something like that I could see, but currently right now the wings this year are pretty phenomenal. Uh, yeah, I was quite sure. impressed. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I was quite impressed. Yeah, it's, it's taken it's taken a huge step forward and I mean there's there's tons tons of innovation happening right now and it's a yeah, it's a pretty it's a pretty interesting uh pretty interesting time to be in the sport. It's it's just gotten like you know, the current generation gear is just so much better and frankly, a lot easier, easier to use than, uh, than the first generation gear. So that's yeah, a great time oh, yeah. to be part of it. Oh yeah. Now for the attendees of that trade show, have you seen a big shift in who, who is coming or is it the same brands, but are they shifting more of their focus towards winging, foiling? Like what percentage have you seen? Yeah, for sure. It's a good question. I mean, I'd say our first year in Hood River, I'm just trying to think there how much winging there was. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking 
Nash and Slingshot probably had wing gear and there's maybe a handful of other brands. And then by the second year, it's like, wow, half the brands uh, had, had wing gear. And now this year it's out of, the exception of, a, I think, maybe a couple of standalone windsurf businesses. I think every exhibitor has something in the foil and or wing category now. So winging okay. is very, you know, much at the forefront of this event. And, you know, we have, you know, there's stores that are like kite surfing powerhouses that also sell wing gear that'll come there that probably aren't going to spend a ton of time demoing kites. They're going to be, you know, on, on the wing gear, chasing the foil gear more, much more so. Now, having said that, um, the, you know, the launch and the, the, the event site itself is, a, is a better wing site than a kite site. The, you know, the, the kiting, the launch site can be a little hairy. It can be a little variable. I'll say like, uh, gusty where for mm-hmm. winging, you know, you just kind of paddle out to the wind line and away you go. It can be a, it can be a, it's not a beginner spot to launch and land kites. I'll put it that way. Okay. No, fair enough. Yeah. So yeah. do you think winging is going to jump that chasm that, uh, that kiteboard, well, that windsurfing did and supping did. Do you think that'll, that'll come with winging? Well, I mean, winds, windsurfing and SUP in their, in their heydays, a big part of what made them so successful um, is they were like non-planing, you know, it didn't have to be super windy to do either, like windsurfing in its heyday and SUP, of course. So those sports are like really approachable. You know, you could, mm-hmm. I mean, you could, like you and I could make a plan to go stand up paddle boarding together, you know, a week Tuesday and 99% chance we're going to get to go. So, uh, you know, um, kite surfing and has always been like so much more wind and weather dependent on it's, 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 that's a huge obstacle to the sport. Like you almost have to be able to like to really progress. You have to be able to put your life on hold. So that's, um, you know, that that's, you know, and and chase the wind. So I think that's always been a barrier for kite surfing in terms of how big it can be is like, if you don't, you're not in a windy place and don't have some flexibility in your life. It's, it's really hard to progress in it. Now, you know, winging by comparison is, you know, the, for most people, the wind minimums lower, you know, you can certainly launch and land and do it in a lot more places. I think it feels a lot less, you know, threatening to people learning it. So I think it's got, you know, I think it's got all the, uh, it's, it's certainly got lots of, uh, lots of room to grow like that. I think it's, it's, it's needless. It's, it's fair to say like it's just a, I think you can, you can attract a lot more people and I think it's a lot more broad in its appeal. So I, you know, it's definitely, it definitely has the potential to grow a ton more. And I, my, I mean, the only caveat is I think for someone who doesn't come from any foil background, you know, it's still, it's still a challenge to get up on foil and get going. And I've watched people like, you know, here got into it first generation. It seemed like it took them forever to get going. But then I've also seen people who come into it with a real foil background and experienced in kite surfing, windsurfing, get it super quick. So, um, the, you know, the, the getting on the foil has still been a challenge, but now what I, what I'm seeing is I think there's, you know, another generation of development in the foils now that have gotten, that have taken a quite a significant leap forward. And I think that's going to, I think that's going to really, really help the uh, accessibility of the sport, just, you know, getting better foils that are just easier to get up on and more controllable. Oh yeah, big time. Like we just had AFS on not that long ago and he was just talking about their development of foils in the last couple months, for example, yeah, and how much that's changed and, and what they're doing for the future and how they're going to make high performance gear accessible for masses and why every consumer should consider going slightly higher performance, but then mm-hmm. A, it's going to, your, your lifespan is going to be a lot longer performance can be better, but then your enjoyment is going to be. So there's a lot of conversations being had and so many different things yeah. happening. I think it's a pretty cool time for foiling. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm like, I'm mostly writing now, um, foils that were developed for prone 
And so okay. like our SF front wings, I'm riding our, uh, our medium size SF wing. And it's like, this is the best light wind foil I've ever ridden, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, like if for someone learning, it's just like, I don't know if you, you know, I, it, it could be like groundbreaking. These our surf wings might be our best beginner wing right now. So, you know, and, um, I guess mm-hmm. it's just like so easy to get up on foil and so easy to stay on foil. And for someone learning transitions, like they just don't, they just don't want to stall. Yeah. So, um, Oh yeah, for sure. You know, that's a pretty, pretty new development, but it's like a little counterintuitive to, you know, have a beginner in your shop and send them out with surf, with a surf front wing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I guess we're going to, we're going to have to see what's, what's coming, but, um, mm-hmm. maybe a little bit more about you. So in the Toronto area, what are your favorite lunch spots? And obviously secret spots we can keep off because, uh, you know, how protective we are of our favorite spots. Not, nothing that secret in Toronto, but like okay. if, if it's anything out of the East, you know, just down the street here at Ashbridge's Bay is, is awesome. Um, there's actually really cool winging spots in, in all along the beaches where, um, like the main beach, you know, it's super crowded with sunbathers and really shallow, like in a fairly gradual drop off. So it's, it's, it's tricky getting out with foils. Um, just a little bit further, a uh, little further east, the, uh, there's parking right close to the water and nice little grassy areas. And there's all these little anti-erosion brake walls you can launch behind and you basically almost straight into deep water and right out in the waves. It's freaking epic. Yeah. So for like winging here in the beaches on an easterly is amazing. And then, um, you know, our more prevailing wind or more common wind in Toronto's Southwest. So, uh, if you want to stay in the city, you know, Cherry Beach is the, is the main spot. So. Um, like that's, that's the kite surf spot in Toronto's cherry beach. And I've spent hours and hours, uh, you know, in the old days, you know, getting dragged way downwind and, you know, all the rest of the stuff you went through learning to a uh, kite surf here in Toronto. But, but that's been like the main spot for, for ages. But now, uh, the Toronto windsurfing club is actually a really nice spot for winging. Uh, the trees are right to the water, so you, you can't really launch and land kites there, but the, the Toronto uh, windsurfing club, that's been around forever. They got a nice manicured lawn right down to the water's edge. Lots of mellow parking, lots of other people winging and windsurfing and stuff. So that's become my uh, my go-to spot for winging uh, on anything out of the uh, southwestern Toronto. But, you know, a funny thing about foiling in general, whether it was like kite foiling before winging, is, uh, you know, it used to be I was chasing the wind all over the place. Like, all I wanted to do is like ride a surfboard and a small kite. And I'd be like, it's a southwest day. Either it's like three hours to Sandbanks or two hours down to Lake Erie and just driving and chasing and chasing and chasing. Then with foiling, it's, it's like... I hardly ever leave the city. So it's been awesome. You know, you get like a killer foil session, like, you know, 10 minutes from home is awesome. Nice. Yeah. I've seen, noticed that as well. Like a bunch of our buddies and stuff are getting into some bigger stuff at Sandbanks, but now mm-hmm. you can get out on what, even two, two foot stuff. And for some reason yeah. it just makes it feel huge. And, and you have such yeah. a, maybe it's the acceleration. Mm-hmm. Um, but the whole, the whole foiling explosion has been fascinating. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, saving three or four hours in your car is always, always nice too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Especially considering mm-hmm. you're not too far. Um, yeah. Is there anything else you want to chat about AWSI? Anything, uh, any other tidbits that people at home would, would like to know, or they should watch out for or tune in for? You know, one thing I'd say to, to, if, you know, if there's a retailer watching or a brand watching that maybe hasn't been to Hood River. And I think we, I think sometimes, you know, the spot's been around for so long and, and we don't talk about it enough. Like the spot is that it's stunningly beautiful as it, you know, um, you know, this, you know, this massive river in the mountains and stuff like that. The town hood river is a really, really cool town. It's, you know, steeped in history or amongst the wind sports, but it's just like, it's, you know, I, I go there once or twice a year. And when I'm driving in from Portland, 
it's like, I remind myself how freaking cool and beautiful it is in Hood River. And it's, it's a pretty, it's pretty unique. Like we're running this event, like literally your little exhibit space is, I don't know, not 50 meters to the water. Everything's happening right there in the picturesque, you know, the, the, uh, snow capped mountains in the background and the whole bit, like it's, it's a really, really cool vibe like that. And then, you know, it's also a very social event. Like most of the brands have beers on the go by four o'clock and stuff like that. And, you know, it's a, it's a really, really fun, uh, you know, it's a really, a really fun event. Like for us, uh, as I mentioned, Max Blom, the founder of Mystic a couple of times, you know, he, he, he fires up a little DJ set every, uh, every afternoon around four o'clock and stuff like that. And, you know, it's got like a really, really fun, you know, fun vibe at the event. So, uh, yeah, if for, for anyone in our business, it's like, I just, I just can't imagine not wanting to, wanting to be there. It's really great. Okay. No, fair enough. I appreciate yeah. that. You're going to well, have a blast. Oh yeah. I think it's going to be fun to come down, meet everybody. Um, and, and yeah, Hood River is absolutely beautiful, beautiful spot. Uh, so really mm -hmm. looking forward to all that. So yeah. And it's, it's becoming just like a monster destination for all things foil right now and just blowing up. Uh, you know, I mean, it's, I mean, it's a really, it's a pretty epic place to kite surf, but you know, most of the launches are a little tricky and you got to know what you're doing, but for winging, there's so many spots you can ride. Like it's so funny, like all the old windsurf spots, like, like my first time I went winging at, at, at the, uh, the hatchery, it was so funny. All the little, all the little trails that I used to use with my windsurfing gear, like, I don't know, what is it now? Like 25 years ago or whatever. There's, there are all the little launch spots that you launch your wing gear on and stuff like that. And I'd be like, Oh yeah, this is the spot I usually launch. And I usually come in there cause it's a little easier to scramble up the rocks there and stuff. And, it's just, it's, it was, it's so funny to see how many people are winging there. And it's a, you know, crazy wing scene out of the hatchery. So it's super fun. Oh yeah. I don't, uh, there's been a huge explosion yeah. to even, um, like following Matt Pritchard's kid, Caden Pritchard mm -hmm. in Maui, there's been such a huge explosion of winging absolutely everywhere and foiling absolutely everywhere. Yeah. And are you, are you getting into downwinding at all on the new downwind boards? Not personally yet. I mean, no? our products okay. uh, next, next spring release, okay. um, and, you know, we'll have some of that stuff at Hood River to check out. But I mean, the, you know, for me, the most interesting part living in Toronto and that was, you know, I was watching, um, you know, I was, I've been watching a couple guys on down winter boards, like up on foil winging in ridiculously light winds. And that's mm. really, really interesting. And I think for oh, somewhere yeah. like Toronto, like that part of that part of the down, down winding boards is going to be, you know, in my mind, much bigger than paddling on the swell. I think the, you know, the, the using, using that setup in uh for light wind wing is going to be really interesting. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to just to seeing all that variety and especially with, with how much money is being pumped into foiling. Yeah. Of how low can we go and well, still these, have these a good time. Pump wings and we, we have them in development. I think we'll have them at Hood River and stuff. I mean, those giant pump wings on the right hull is going to be really interesting for, yeah. uh, for wind. Okay. So, and, you know, you're asking about, you know, the size or how big, uh, how big winging can be. I mean, there is still an inherent wind minimum for most people. If we can break mm -hmm. through that threshold, I mean, geez, then, then this thing can really, really start to take off. I think on that note, I guess if any retailers are listening, this is the place to be. Uh, when's the event running uh, this year? We are running. It's the Wednesday after uh, Labor Day. So that is Wednesday, six, seven, eight. So the uh, Tuesday, so Labor Day is Monday the fourth. The fifth is a full day setup day for the exhibitors, and then the event runs uh, Wednesday through Friday. Wednesday through Friday, okay. And I think mm -hmm. there was a few events in the evening. There was something. Yeah, yeah. Wednesday night is the um, sort of our opening party, and that's when we do our awards. We have like a athlete of the year, male and female, for windsurfing, kitesurfing, and winging. 
then we have a brand of the year for all those sports. So it's our annual awards uh, show happens on the, on the first night okay. and uh, you know, you know, open bar, some food, all that sort of stuff, right, right at the event site. So uh, right next to the river. And then uh, on the, we have sort of like a wrap party. Well, we have a industry party on the Thursday sponsored by Duotone, Armstrong and North. And uh, I'm sure there'll be some other stuff popping up. But yeah. Lots to do. Okay. Fair enough. Well, yeah. Hey Matt, thanks a lot for joining me today on your, on your Sunday in me. Toronto. And uh, I'm yeah. looking forward to seeing you down there. Yeah, indeed. Look forward to it. Awesome. Thanks. Man. Thanks for